electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the incredible, crazy, wild week as stocks begin with a major sell-off and end on the road to new record highs. We'll debate whether more volatility is ahead and where your money will work best. Joining me for the hour, the investment committee is here. Jenny Harrington, Bryn Talkington, Amy Raskin, Degas Wright, Pete Najarian. Let's begin with the markets that check on stock today. Gains across the board. The Dow retakes 35,000 new intraday highs for the S&P and the Nasdaq. Pete, a remarkable week. I can't believe we are where we are, given where we were on Monday. I'm totally with you, Scott, especially if you look back even just a little bit further. You go to Friday and then combine that with Monday and all the negativity and all the focus that seemed to be away from the market, away from earnings. And now all of a sudden it's come right back looking at the markets and looking at earnings and less about the Delta variant that we've been so focused on last week. So it is an interesting week and it's been an incredible week in terms of a lot of different uh, types of reports, but a lot of strong reports so far, Scott. And when you look at whether it's Capital One or American Express or a lot of these various names in the financials that weren't in that initial surge of financials, they really are performing very, very nicely. And, and I'll tell you what, the, the numbers that we have been seeing in tech and other areas, it's just extraordinary. So earnings season is back. The focus on earnings is back. And that's why we're seeing a data like today. And by the way, real quick, volatility, the fact that we got up and over and got towards that 25 level, Scott, just on Tuesday, and then suddenly here we are back in the 16s and 17s. It's amazing how the movement we are seeing in the markets and, and, and the constricted moves, but also the movement to the upside and also the volatility just getting absolutely slammed. We just don't sustain over 20 for very long. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's been really an incredible week, um, not only in the markets, but we've heard some, from some very influential voices throughout this week on this program Let's listen to what they had to say about the markets. The conditions for a bear market just are not present. I agree with Lee. I mean, I think Mark, the stock market, I know I've said a bunch of times, is going, is going higher. At the end of the day, the economy is great. Rates are low. So you want to be an investor. The index having a correction at the end, much like in 2018. And then, of course, 19 was a good year. So, you know, that's the setup. All right, Bryn, who, who's going to get the last word here? Is, is Mike Wilson going to be right? Or, or do you side with those who are more bullish? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with those who are more, more bullish, only because I think it's like a futile attempt to try to predict some type of sell-off. If you go back to 1980, the average intra-year peak to trough decline since 1980 is 14%. So expect a 14% peak to trough decline in any one year. So I don't think that's like a big stretch to say we think we could see a sell-off because so far we've only seen a 4% peak to trough decline. That being said, this is a buy the dip market. And I think that's an exciting time. Earnings are here. 
I mean, you can look at the tech stocks today. Financials have had a great rebound. It looks like breadth is strengthening out a little bit. I mean, tech is doing really well today, but the financials definitely rebounded from Friday's, you know, mini panic. So I'm going to stick with uh, Lee, Rick Reeder, uh, and myself to say buy the dip and stay invested. Yeah, Mike Wilson, just for, for more context, he's calling for a 10% correction from here. Let's listen to exactly what he told us yesterday, and then we can continue to chat on the other side. I think the markets have been going through a bit of a rolling correction really since March, uh, and that fits our narrative that we've been sort of espousing here, which is it's more about rotations than it is about the index. And, you know, look, when this happens historically, Scott, with, you know, when, when you get these sort of rolling corrections, the market always goes after the weakest links first. It reminds me a lot of 2018. We kind of had a similar conversation. We were talking about a rolling bear market. We thought it would be more severe then because it was end of the cycle. This is still you know, early to mid cycle. But, you know, rolling corrections can happen during bull markets. And that's what's going on. So we think it ends with a correction of the index level. And that would be very helpful. That would then you can kind of reset the playing field. Valuations will be more justifiable, and we can focus back then on earnings growth. All right, Degas, what do you think about what Mike Wilson had to say? I mean, look, directionally, he's been right. We have had a rolling correction, one that he's been calling for. He's just looking for some more severe downside from here. Is he going to be right? Yeah. Scott, I don't think he's right because he's talking about another 10% drop. The difference between 2018 and today, we did not have the same level of stimulus pumped into the market. And so that's keeping that that positive stimulus uh, is really pushing the market. Also, we didn't have a pandemic that closed down the economy. And so companies cut costs. What we're seeing now, I believe about 23% of the S&P has reported 87% of those companies have beat EPS earnings by about 16%. They have beat on revenue about 86%. They beat about 6% on revenue. So we're beating on earnings, we're beating on revenue, and the only thing that's holding this economy back is the variant, but I don't think, I don't see a pullback of 10%. Yeah, Amy, how, how do you see it? Because we have had a volatile week. We certainly feel better today than we did a week ago today, and then the carry through on Monday. You still do have the Delta variant out there, and it's likely to get a lot worse before the COVID situation here in the United States gets better. The market's just going to continue to look through all of that and avoid a stronger pullback as Mike Wilson thinks is coming? I think it will. Um, and I think it will for not great reasons. I do think the market's overvalued and I think it's going to be a tough decade. The 2020s will probably be a tough decade. But I think the market is being driven right now by inflows. Um, I'm a big believer in the inelastic market hypothesis, which posits that there are are there are fewer sellers due to fixed allocations and when you get huge inflows like this they have a multiplier effect on the market 2021 has been a record year of inflows largely due to fiscal largesse and stimulus um, goldman expects another 500 billion to come into the market before year end and you just don't have a lot of sellers so i don't think it means that i, I don't really think it's earnings I, earnings are great but nobody expects these earnings to continue um, we're going to revert after the pandemic. I, I think this is largely a liquidity-driven market at this point, but the liquidity's still there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it's still there. there. That's undeniable. How long it's going to be there, we don't really know. Jenny, I, I'm going to sum up, I think, this conversation, uh, or at least the counterpoint, 
from a tweet from one of our, our regular viewers who says what I think some people are feeling. How can the market keep going up and be all fine, fine and dandy with the deadly Delta variant just beginning its rage across the nation? I mean, are we, are we just, how are we looking past that? I think it's actually pretty easy to look past it because we've learned how to live with this virus. And even though the vaccines, the um, rate of vac people being vaccinated is slowing, it's not going down, right? So things, so the rate of vaccination is slowing, but it's still going up, right? We are le we've learned how to live with it. We all know that nobody's sh shutting down completely again. So we're just moving on. And this is going back to like last March, right? When I was looking up Elm Street here in New Canaan and saying, all the shops are closed. It's terribly scary. It's awful. Why is the market up so much? There is there's a bifurcation between the market and then what we see in our real lives and the economy and what we see in our real lives. We know how to live with this as a society and as an economy. So the economy is not going down. Um, not going down because of the Delta variant. It's just, it's a bump in the road. We're going to learn how to live with this and I think we already have. I think, I just want to come back to, know, um, the, the... to buy the dip for a minute. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, just one thing on, um, on buying the dip. I think what's interesting is I've had a lot of clients come in over the past year or talk to clients, you know, and they've got cash on the sidelines. I think it's really, I think it's really tricky to wait and wait and wait for Mike Wilson's 10% pullback. By the way, I'm convinced he's right. I just don't know what the time frame is. I'm also convinced that Leon and Rick Reader are right, um, that there's so much money coming in that supports the market. There are no alternatives with, because of bond yields. But I think you need to be careful waiting for the dip because you might be left on the sidelines for a long time. So if you happen to have cash, then yeah, put it to work when it does dip, but don't wait for it for too long or you might get left in the dust. So I think we're all kind of right yeah. on this panel. And I think it's pretty easy to see a path upward, even with the Delta variant that's scary emotionally, but it's not, it's not derailing for the economy or for the market. Okay, let's bring in Brian Belsky now. He's the chief investment strategist at BMO. Uh, once again, joining the conversation live today from Minneapolis. Uh, so everybody's bullish again, Belsky? It, it, it's all good? Well, the panel stole all my best material, so I'll, let's, let's see if I can uh, wing this here. Poor Mike Wilson. We've already bit, uh, beaten up uh, him a little bit. I think if you take a look at this notion of a rolling correction, which you said on air that you agree with, how can we have a rolling correction, Scott, if the market's up 10%? You know, I learned the business 31 years ago from William O'Neill when I worked there uh, at the firm and at and Investors Business Daily. And a better way to kind of frame that, if he wants to call it a narrative, is rotational leadership. The best secular bull markets show this consistent rotation of leadership. I think that's a better way to say it. And I think someone else on the panel was talking about, I mean, it's nearly impossible to make short-term calls. So I'm not familiar with Mike's process or discipline. I just think it's really difficult uh, to go even look back at 2018. You got to remember, 2018 was the tariff tantrum, uh, and the Fed was going the opposite direction, raising rates. And, and for all intents and purposes, this is a short-term call for hedge funds. It's not a short-term call for people in mom and pop in Wilmer, Minnesota, where I grew up. It's, it's, this is for shorter term momentum money. And I think the bottom line is this, Scott, the, 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 the cyclical rebound that we've seen in stocks, part of a bigger secular 20 to 25 year bull market, which we've been calling for for a long time, is in the transition of two things. Number one, it's becoming more fundamental and more earnings driven. That's very apparent. And I think the panel agrees. They talked a lot about that. 
Number two, and I've heard a lot of talk about this, is that we're returning to a stock picker's market. It's showing in a, a, a majority of the industries and sectors, I'm sorry, in terms of dispersion of performance, dispersion of earnings growth, and dispersion of multiples. When you see such a wide dispersion, Scott, it really means that you have to focus less on the market in these big fancy market calls and more on being in the right stocks in the right areas, whether or not it's growth or value. And that's why we're broadly balanced across growth and value, small, mid, and large. I think that's going to be the right call for the next several years. So do you think the worst of the correction, whatever you want to call what happened on Friday and Monday, is, is that now behind us? That was a period of quick volatility that now we've come to Friday and we hit new highs on the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 and, and all's fine again. The, the market's going to be able to look to the other side of this Delta variant because we may very well get to herd immunity as a result of it. It may be a painful period of time to get there, but we're going to get there. Is that what the market sees? Yes, I think Jenny was said it much more appropriately than I I will, and uh, most likely. But I, we have to cut ourselves some slack in society and our business. We have done an unbelievable job pivoting in our personal lives and socially and work to to achieve what we've achieved as a society the last let's call it 14 or 15 months. And with respect to herd immunity. Uh, I think it is it, uh, an amazing point. And look at where we are now versus where we were in February, March of last year. Lastly, fear and rhetoric and momentum still driving stock prices on a short-term basis. So a two-day correction is a two-day correction. Uh, but we'll have to see somewhere down the line that the market finally does see a cyclical correction based on fundamentals, Scott, not based on kind of fear. So with that, I think it's surprising to note that earnings numbers continue to go up. Everybody thought the market was going to earnings were going to peak. But if you look at over the next last one to three months, earnings for 2021 and certainly for 2022 on a on a fiscal year basis are going up. And I don't think anybody imagined that. Now, let's be clear, too. I mean, Mike Wilson would be the first to tell you that his call doesn't work if you don't get a rollover again in big tech in the FANG stocks, the ones that all report earnings next week, which makes it such a, a critical week, because you've had this rolling correction, which really started with mega cap tech in the fall, right? Remember that period in like September yep. where these stocks didn't do anything. They had corrected a little bit. Then you had the rolling correction all the way up until where we are now. Is there a reason to believe that those stocks, Brian, are not going to pull back again? Because remember what happened after they reported earnings last time? They were blowout reports one after the other, and the stock still sold off. If that happens again, the S&P could be in trouble. No, I don't think it's going to happen because uh, according to our work, if you take a look at the top 10 stocks in technology, and we can throw in communication services as well, these stocks, these companies have become probably the most consistent earners in the market. And it's not just the last couple of years, Scott. It's really been since 20, uh, 2002, I'm sorry, the standard deviation of earnings growth. I don't mean to be bored, boring with the, the quant stuff, but the standard deviation of earnings growth has dropped off dramatically. That means the variability is not what it used to be in the 90s when I used to sit in Amy Raskin's office and talk about growth stocks uh, at that time. So I think what we're happening, what we're seeing in these big cap tech stocks is they have become the new consumer staples, number one. On the other side of things, there's a massive amount of opportunity within the technology sector because of where earnings growth is and the secular structural changes that we've seen 
in technology, especially since 2000. For instance, 30% more companies in, in the technology sector are actually paying dividends. Their cash as a percentage of assets is up 13%, and their multiple points on a next year basis are down 20 full multiple points versus 2000. So I think there's a lot of opportunity in the technology sector from a longer term perspective. Brian, you have a question for Brian Belsky? Yeah, hey Brian. You know, I saw that your earnings estimate for 2021, I think, was 190. And so, you know, corporate tax changes aside, it seems that with earnings going higher, we could potentially get to 200. So I was wondering if you were being conservative with 190, or you think there's the potential with this earnings guidance? And also, that tech is about the top 10 stocks are about 30% of the earnings contribution to the S&P that we could actually move up higher towards around 200 for this year. Great point. Uh, it's a setup a little bit because I always try to underpromise and overdeliver. We said when we raised our numbers in May to $190 of earnings and $4,500 in terms of price that we thought those numbers would be potentially too low. If you take a look at a 20, let's, say, let's call it a 22% uh, tax rate on corporates, it's a 6% hit to earnings. If it's 25%, it's a it's a three percent hit, so rather de minimis, quite frankly. In terms of tech, again, this is not about the absolute growth rates; about the consistency of growth. So I think obviously in the old days we used to worry more about tech in the third quarter because that would be the seasonal slowdown. But given the fact of a very strong demand and I think continued strength with respect to the secular basis, it's nowhere near uh, the kind of the stretch it was. In fact, it's 2.2 times uh, earnings contribution back in the market weight, I'm sorry, of uh, the sector relative to 2000, it was 2.2 times its contribution. So I think there's a long ways to go in terms of tech from a secular basis. What about your financials, financials, financials? Um, I mean, they're certainly cheaper than they were when you, when you said that, but look at where rates are. I mean, the 10-year got down to 112, I think, Brian, and now I think it's 130. So it's had a nice comeback. Um, and, you know, I'm, I don't mean to be glib about it with, with you either. I'm, I'm really not trying to. Um, but what about that call, right, given where rates are? Be glib all day long, Scott, because uh, the call of the money center banks and the asset managers and the brokers, I think that's the call. I think, obviously, in common sense, wise says that net interest margins are going to be hurt in the regional banks. In the regional banks, from a multiple perspective, we're trading at a, a pretty wide premium to Canadian banks and to money center banks, which I think they're basically the same operations. We want to be in an asset with scale across most sectors, but especially financials, these multi-asset type of businesses, whether or not it's commercial bank, wealth management, capital markets. I think that's going to continue to be the strength of the banks, and that's why we continue to own names like J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, Goldman. Uh, we really like those names, and of course we love the, the asset managers like BlackRock and Affiliated uh, as well. So we're going to maintain those, those buys, and I think there's a long ways to go. And not to mention the very, very, very strong dividend growth. I think that's going to be a key thing, especially given where rates are, where rates are going to be for a while. Brian, you have yourself a good weekend. We'll see you again soon. Always appreciate the conversation with you. Thank you. All right, that's BMO's uh, Brian Belsky. I'll just pick up, Pete, with, with what I said earlier about Mike Wilson's call. is only going to work mm -hmm. if technology, which has started leading again. Again, we mentioned the NASDAQ hits a new all-time uh, all high today. If that rolls over, mm -hmm. and you know, it makes me want to think about, obviously, the big tech companies, which, by the way, many of which got their price targets raised again today, which ratchet, ratchets up the pressure, perhaps, heading into their numbers next week. But, Pete, you know, you own Snap Calls. Um, Snap's, yeah. you know, their advertising story is, is, is great, right? Jim Cramer made a read-through from that to 
what Alphabet's going to deliver. And then there's Twitter. Mm -hmm. And none of it, none of the narrative that you're hearing makes you think that big tech uh, is about to roll over anytime soon. Now, anything could happen, of course. But what's your read? Right. Yeah, well, no, you're exactly right, especially as we go into next week where we really hit the big tech names. And obviously these these next level names, the Twitters and the snaps of the world, give us a little bit of a glimpse, like you're saying, Scott. And that glimpse right now looks extremely bullish. The ad growth that we are seeing in terms of that spend is just absolutely astronomical right now in a couple in both those two names. And Snap specifically, that's why that stock had this unbelievable move to the upside. We had unusual. By the way, I'm out of that, Scott, just so you know. I took that off. So um, it, it, I was very lucky, obviously, on this earnings and this big move, but I, I don't know how much longer or how much further it was going to go. Plus, I just felt like, you know what, you don't look a gift horse in the mouth, you take that off. So I do think that that gives us a little bit of insight, though, like you just said, into the alphabets of the world and, and, and that type of category, Facebook, um, where we can see a lot of that ad spend. Now, are they jumping over one another to be able to get there? Are they leaving Facebook to go to Snap? I don't think so. So I'm actually viewing this as a very big positive going into next week in terms of some of the earnings that are coming out because I'll tell you what, those numbers in Snap, the numbers in Twitter, the growth, the engagement, everything that they are doing is just right on right now. And obviously we're seeing that reaction in the stocks themselves as we speak today. Yeah, you're, you're not kidding. So, Amy, I mean, I think the next appropriate question is, is tech going to provide the next uh, leg of the rally or is tech going to be the next thing to roll over in a rolling correction? Which is it? Well, and you can certainly see these stocks pull back on earnings. Expectations are very high. You were right to point out that's what, ha what happened last quarter. Um, they delivered and the stock still didn't really work that well. And, and I think we could see that next week as well. Um, I don't think that they're going to roll over. Again, I think a lot of this is driven by fund flows and money going into the market, given you know, he's going into these companies. Um, because if you buy just passive S&P, you're buying 5% Apple and you're buying big weights in Google and Amazon and Facebook and all of those companies. Um, you know, that said, these valuations are really high. The market capitalizations are really high. They're in the trillions of dollars now. Um, I remember I joined when I joined Chevy Chase Trust in 2014, we were debating Amazon at $250 a share when we added it. It's 10 times greater. You're not going to get that in the next decade. So I think it's start. I think it's time to start looking elsewhere. I don't think I don't think they roll over hard. I don't think you lose a lot of money in them, certainly in the short term. But for your alpha going forward, I think it's time to look elsewhere. Bryn, do you want to look elsewhere or should or is this exactly the place that you should be looking right now for for all the right reasons? Rates are low. You're looking for growth. Uh, Delta variants making people think about certain kinds of technology stocks that they were thinking about in the heart of the pandemic. The stocks have the, the trend is your friend. There's new momentum. They're about to report earnings. Many of them are at new highs. They've got momentum. What do you think? I think in the short term, the momentum's there. I will say this though, remember when the financials reported they had all run up really nicely into their earnings and then they all pretty much sold off. So we'll see next week what happens. I think Amy brought up a really important point. They bought, you know, Amazon and they have a 10 bagger, you know, from, you know, 2014 today. You know, I'm a big holder of the QQQs, the NASDAQ 100. 
But if I look back into the 70s and look at rolling 10-year returns, right now we're in the top decile, top decile outside of the tech bubble of rolling 10-year returns. And so that's not an ominous sign that it's going to go lower. But I do think these 10-time returns we got in a lot of these big cap tech states big cap tech stocks aren't sustainable because you do have the law of large numbers. That being said, there's so many great companies. I mean, Snap today is still a small company. Look at Roblox. There's a lot of new up and comers that I think is exciting to be to be involved in. And so I say I'm going to keep my core position in the queue. But I also think it's great to own these new up and comers that haven't had those returns that we've seen in the Amazons and the Apples over the last 10 and 20 years. So Pete, and then there's Intel, the stock that you own and have continued to defend. The shares were down after earnings. I want you to listen to what Jim Cramer had to say with. <laughs> I want to, OK, we'll talk on the other side. Here's what Jim Cramer had to say in our conversation earlier this morning on Squawk on the Street. The company was being poorly run. You can't turn that battleship around in one quarter. So let's understand if you're going to decide that Intel is the uh, semiconductor company of old, I'm going to tell you you're very ill-advised. Uh, I didn't like the quarter. I didn't like the way the quarter was presented. I don't like the way the Pat has somehow assumed the mantle as semiconductor man in chief. It's not right. There are others who are doing better, and they're more important. Pete, how do you respond to that? Yeah. It's, hard to, it's really hard to argue with what Jim said. But I think the very most important part is it's tough to turn something obviously rapidly and we all know that and I think they have the right person at the top now running the show and I think that as we look forward Scott as a matter of fact the earnings themselves yes they they are they're losing in data center and that is a problem and that's a huge problem but they are actually winning pretty big on the PC side of things they're doing really well on the auto and the internet of things side of things so they do have pieces of this puzzle starting to come together but obviously we all know it's about data center it's about growth that's the areas that the others have taken over and they've taken away from Intel and that's a huge problem that's going to take a while to turn that wasn't expected to happen this quarter and I don't know if we expect it next quarter or the quarter after that I think that is going to take some time but I do think that they've got the right plan in place for this stock to continue to try to make moves and then start to gather back a little bit more of the market share that they need to they need to get back in the data center area because that's where they're getting killed. All right, so Jenny, how long are you willing to wait? Because clearly this story is going to take a long time to play out. One can only surmise that by looking at where they are now relative to some of their competitors like AMD. Right. Funny that you'd bring up AMD instead of Nvidia, though. So, so you know, I'm. Well, a I mean, I, w- I was going to bring up something both. We plan. Yeah. I, okay. I would have um, brought up both, but I mean, so, you, the, the point is clear, though, right? The point is clear. So, you know, when we buy something, the goal is to hold it for three to five years and to be patient and let it play out. And I'd rather be early into an unpopular trade, you know, rather than right on time or late to a crowded popular trade because I think you make a lot more money if you can be early, be against consensus and, you know, and get in like before everybody else is crowded into the trade and already run the price up. So we have a really long term horizon on this. I see it differently than Jim Cramer saw it. He's 100 percent right. You don't turn something around in a quarter or, or a year. But we looked at that court. We looked at the earnings report and we heard, wow, record numbers for mobile eye and PCs, no production delays, progress on networks, movement into the foundry space. So we actually looked 
looked at that really differently. We saw a 20% beat in earnings. We saw raised guidance. So it was a very different perspective. It's interesting, too, because last year when, when we were arguing about this on this show, I kept saying, and I believe this 100% right now, too, it's not a winner takes all. It's not all NVIDIA. It's not all AMD. It's not all Intel. There's room for all of them. And it's an interesting performance return this year, too. You've got NVIDIA that's up almost mm-hmm. 50%. You've got Intel that's up about 6%. And you have AMD that's down, down about 1% on the year. So there's wide performance divergence there. For me, this is the stock that works well for my strategy, my portfolio, and my time horizon. You know, you need to okay. know what kind okay. of investor you are and where you're going with it. Yeah. Yep. Okay. That's Not fair. That I care. Absolutely fair. <laughs> We're coming back with portfolio moves from our investment committee. We'll do it next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. Disney is announcing that it will resume cruises from Florida on August 9th. Disney is requiring all guests to get travel insurance. I also noted the CDC's recommendation that unvaccinated people should not travel on cruise ships. In Haiti, a solemn funeral ceremony for assassinated President Jovenel Moise. Security is tight there, but just outside, reports of shots and tear gas fired. Eventually, dignitaries were rushed to their vehicles, and so far there are no reports of any injuries. A dramatic rescue from a collapsed building in China's flood-stricken Henan province. A three-month-old baby being pulled from the debris a day and a half after the building came down. child is now recovering at a hospital in stable condition. And a new poll finds that most Americans who have not yet been vaccinated against COVID-19 say they're unlikely to get their shots. A majority of the unvaccinated respondents say they doubt the vaccine works against the Delta variant. And on the news, live reports on surging cases on the East and West Coast and across the South tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. You're now up to date, Scott. I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, you have yourself a good weekend. Appreciate that, Rahel Solomon. All right, let's talk about some of the moves that the committee is making today. Degas, I'm coming to you first. Let's talk about your cells, all right? We want to go with the unloads first. You sold Air Products. Yes. And you sold Bristol Myers, which is very interesting considering Josh Brown yesterday just bought Bristol Myers. Farmer Jim owns Bristol Myers. Why'd you yeah, sell so, it? Yeah, so we sold Bristol Myers because it has limited upside. And part of, this is part of a portfolio construction trade 
we're moving from the low beta stocks up to higher beta stocks because of our positive view of the market. And so Bristol-Myers has limited upside from this point. We gained a profit from it. We sold it because it, we had better uh, medical names in our portfolio. And so Bristol-Myers was just a lower ranked name. So we sold that one. We also sold Air Products. Air Products benefited from the pandemic when uh, oxygen was in demand. Now that demand is declining, once again, we took a profit for our clients and we sold the position. Okay, let's talk about some of your buys. You bought Autodesk and Fortinet. Talk to me. Exactly. So, so this is increasing that beta that we talked about. The Autodesk. Autodesk has put together a digital platform for engineers, architects, and city planners to do project design. One of the things that they've developed is a design tool that identifies material that will reduce carbon emissions. So we really like this company. It's increasing revenue and margins are expanding. We also purchased uh, Fortinet. Now everyone's big into 5G and that could be good, but also 5G increases the risk of being hacked. And what Fortinet does is that it's provided a cybersecurity solution to protect your business and your data. And so what we really like is a subscription business model. Plus it has profit margins of 80% with a free cash flow yield of 3%. So we really like Fortinet. All right, good stuff. Degas, thank you. Amy Raskin, you trimmed Disney. Why? I did. I did, and I love Disney. As soon as my kids are vaccinated, we'll be there. And I think Disney Plus is a great product, but we are sort of moving in the other direction. We're taking our um, beta down a little bit and our multiples down. So we've been trimming some of our stocks that have worked really well. Um, Disney is a great stock, a great company. Um, we think it though it's had it's had a really nice run. Um, so we're using the proceeds and putting it into some lower multiple stocks. Okay, uh, like Regeneron, right? Verizon, and right. Goldman Sachs, Regener which you know we were just talking about the yeah. banks with with Belsky, But you could pick any one of those or all three. Yeah, we think, you know, look, we think Brian's right. It's a time for balance. There are a lot of unknowns right now. Um, we think Regeneron's one of the best um, biotechs out there. It's trading at 16 times. For, uh, blows my mind that you can get in that cheaply right now. We think the financials, um, a lot of the news is out there. Um, the yield curve has hopefully bottomed and, and coming up a little bit. Um, so we think um, you know, they're oversold technically. Um, so we're still underweight financials, but we've been increasing our positions there a little bit. Um, and you know, again, Verizon, nice solid quarter, 11 times multiple. Um, you know, as, as Degas was saying, but they have the 5G cycle in front of them. So we, we've on the margin adding to all those holdings. Okay, and that brings me to Bryn Talkington, who is bullish on the market. As you heard at the top, she agrees with Lee Cooperman. She agrees with Rick Reeder. She thinks stocks are going higher, yet she sold GE calls, took a loss. Sold Coca-Cola shares, took a nice profit. Sold Apple calls, took a nice profit. What's up with that? Yeah, so um, good lead in. And so let me put some context. I have my core portfolio. Did you get, all, did like, you catch where yeah. I was going with all of that? Yeah, yeah, it's great. It was great. I, got, I picked up on it. And so I've got the core, the core portfolio right. where I have the Q's, ARC, MTUM, Apple, Amazon, my core holdings. And then I have a trading bucket. And so I was on, let's start with GE. 
I thought GE, I bought it a few months ago. I thought as the economy was cover, re recovering, it's such a heavy industrial type company that it would catch a bid to that, but it just hasn't. And so I bought calls on it. And so it just hasn't moved. And so with options, time is, time is your enemy. So I sold those for a loss and I'm gonna move on. Um, with Coke, I talked about Coke about five or six months ago. I bought it around 47. And if you look at the chart, the January 2020 high was around 57. And I said that I thought as the economy reopened, this was a really good, we'll say, granny shot way to play the reopening with a high quality company. So it hit that price target. And so I took profit on that and, that and moved on. And then, and then with Apple, you know, I own Apple. I'm a big fan of Apple. I said on the show, I want to say just a few weeks ago that I had bought Apple. It was mm -hmm. looking like it was going to break out around 127. I bought the calls. And so they I just did. took profits on those, right? So I think it's more about just when you buy options, you have to be really thoughtful because once again, that time to get, time decay will just erode your, your, erode your profits. So still bullish, just taking profit I, on I the options you. and redeploying. <laughs> I hear you. I'm just having some fun. That's all on this Friday. Yep. Um, and you did buy Visa, right? And you bought I Visa did, stock and talk, calls. I, and that, yeah, and, I do and want you, to talk about And you say that's a core a new position, too. Yep, Go ahead, yep. please. So, so, you know, on the show last time, we were talking about financials. You know, I like Goldman. But when I think about where I want to be positioned over the next few years, I'm a big fan of PayPal. I'm a big fan of blockchain. You know, Visa, why I didn't own it before, my bad. You know, Visa is really becoming the epicenter of a lot of blockchain. And, you know, Visa right now computes 100 billion computations per second transactions. It's kind of crazy. They recently invested in blockchain capital, which is a venture capital private equity firm. They invested as an LP as well as a strategic partner. They are already involved in about 25 different digital wallets. They partnered up with US Dollar Coin, which is built on the Ethereum platform. And so I'm a big believer that this blockchain and these payment structures are just gonna continue to get bigger and bigger. And to me, Visa was a really good way to play it. So I took a new position, bought the stock, and then also went long calls. And their earnings come out next week. All right. All right, good stuff. Thank you for that. Up next, Pete has unusual activity. We're going to do something fun, too, on Ask Halftime uh, today. you got to wait for that. We've got one question, and everybody has an answer with new names you need to think about. Talk about it next. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, Pete, unusual activity on this Friday. What do you got? All right. I got two of them, Scott, that actually both expire next week, July 30th, and they both have earnings reports coming out. Facebook is the first one. So right out of the gate today, hour into the trading session, we had a buyer of 10,000 of the July 30th expiring. So next Friday, the 380 calls. Those are going for a little over $3. Stock was 362 and a half. Now the stock's actually pushing up towards 370. So moving up very, very rapidly already into the earnings. The second one is MasterCard. MasterCard, 4,900 of the 400 strike calls. They're buying those. That also expires next week. It's pretty interesting. There's a little bit of premium there, $2.50 up to about $4. I'm in both these names. I think that they are definitely targeting the catalyst of earnings next week, and I think they're both going higher.
All right, good stuff. Pete, thank you very much. Ask Halftime is next. Yep. Send your questions in by video. We'll play them on the air. Email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. We have a special edition coming up next. All right, welcome back. Today we're tackling one question in Ask Halftime, and the investment committee will give their best ideas to a viewer who is looking for long-term stock ideas for two young investors. Take a look at this. I have a one and a two-year-old grandson that I bought Apple stock for, and I'm wondering about a couple more suggestions for long-term growth for the two little guys. Thank you very much. All right, to Carl from uh, from Aspen, Colorado. We appreciate that. Degas, what's your answer? Carl, I will recommend Disney and PepsiCo as a first lesson in financial literacy. Just imagine when you take your grandkids to the grocery store and you pick up that Quaker oatmeal box, it's going to have a different meaning. If you take them to Disney World, they're going to understand and learn from you that they own a piece of the Disney magic. So Disney and PepsiCo. All right, good stuff. Bryn? Yeah, hey Carl. So for every Apple, there are far more GEs, AOLs, and Nokias out there. So my advice would be buy a basket of great growth companies, and with that I would do the QQQs and ARKK. That will naturally change over time. Okay. Ooh, the ARKK, all right. Going out on the risk curve a little bit. Well, I mean, they're, they're young. They have a long time to go. So that's very interesting. All right, Amy. Um, congratulations, Carl. I think the next decade is going to be one of molecular medicine. So I'm going to give you a value stock, Regeneron, a growth stock, Illumina, and uh, more speculative, I think a, a stock that has great patent protection and a lot of intellectual property, Intellia. It's going to be a leader in CRISPR. Um, and I think you'll do well with all of them. Okay, some arc plays there too. I noticed that. Pete? <laughs> yeah, you know, what's interesting, Scott, is I did this with my children back in 2009 when they were still fairly young, and they had to present to me exactly what they were looking for and present to me why they should be able to own Churchill Downs and Apple and some of these other names. So he's already got Apple. I actually like Pepsi and Coke. I think both of them work, and for different reasons, because of the fact that Pepsi's obviously a little bit more diverse than, than you're looking at Coke. But I think these are companies that they know and they'll understand growing up because it's not just soda pop, it's waters, it's juices, and all those kinds of things. And on the other side of that, I'm going a little more conservative on the, on the pharmaceutical side. I like both Merck and Pfizer for long term, especially when you're looking at the pipelines of these companies. And they trade at such low multiples. These are companies that really could be monsters someday. All right, Jenny, last but not least, what about your ideas? Tagging on to Degas's financial literacy theme, I would recommend a broad market index like SPY or VOO because that way they can learn about diversification, about the broad market. They'll get the language of what the S&P 500 is and know how to invest in it as well as the individual stocks. I think a combination of all stocks and the broad market funds is super important. I love it. Props to the producers for doing this. Um, I like taking the one question and everybody giving fresh new ideas. Great job. All right, more trades ahead. Before the break, also, take a look at some of the stocks hitting new highs today. Again, NASDAQ hits a new high intraday. S&P hits a new high intraday. McDonald's, Starbucks, Advanced Auto Parts are as well. We're back right after this. The eighth edition of the investment classic, Winning the Losers Game, recently hit the shelves. Our Jenny Harrington sat down with the author, investing legend Charles Ellis. Here's what he had to say about cryptocurrencies as an investment. 
I can't imagine it being an investment now for anyone who is not a profoundly experienced, and it's hard to become very experienced, expert in what cryptocurrencies are all about, uh, or a psychiatrist playing against the fools of the crowd. Uh, either of those I can understand, but it's not a game I want to play, and it's not a game I'm going to play. What do you think about that, Jenny? I think some people would take issue with that because you do have a, a lot of younger people investing in crypto for, for certain and people who are not uh, as expert as maybe Charles Ellis would prefer. I think to be a really good investor, though, and make a lot of money, what Charlie reminds us is that you don't that you should not play other people's games. And he says, be an expert at your own game. So just as Pete Najarian is an expert at options trading, and I am not, I am an options, I am an expert at dividend investing. Other people are not. Become an expert at what the game you're best at is. And I think by becoming an expert in that area, then you can maximize your returns over the long run. So that's really what he's saying there. Don't play other people's games or put tremendous effort into becoming an expert if you want to play that game. And I think that's good advice for individuals and professionals alike. Oh, for certain. Uh, And by the way, you can hear more on CNBC Pro. There's also a piece out on CNBC.com today. CNBC.com forward slash invest in you. Go check it out. I think you'll appreciate that. Final trades coming up. All right. It's final trade time. Bryn Talkington, you're up first. I want to buy square at the same time, sell the January 290 calls and you can bring in $21. Great company, but, but sell the calls against them. All right. Since you're speaking Pete's language, I'm going to Pete next. Bryn loves the options, Pete. All she right, loves I'm, the options. I do. <laughs> I love all these option traders we got. It's awesome. The trade desk is my trade, uh, Scott. I'm seeing some options getting bought to the upside right now. So I think this name's got a little bit more room. It's already up 9% today. couple weeks, I think it goes higher. Okay. Amy Raskin. Um, we like Cadence Design Systems as companies look to develop specific application application specific chips. Um, these are the big. This is a, one of the big beneficiaries. Digus right. In our public group, we like it. It's uh, aiming to be the best technology-enabled marketing solution, and it has a three percent dividend yield. Okay, and our dividend investing expert, Jenny Harrington. Intel, 10 times earnings, 2.5% yield. Get in now while everybody else still hates it. Oh, all right. Great weekend, everybody. Thanks so much for watching you as well. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.